important news. The Stony Bridge tourist season is almost upon us. But we don't get visitors here, Brucey. In fact, we've never had one. Yeah, unlike that bunch up the road in the Yetsa Mucka. Aye, they've had a tourist. Uh-huh, back in... <laughs> back in 1963, it was. His name was Keith. <laughs> Do you think maybe our advertising campaigns might have put people off? Oh, what were they again? Well, the first one was going on holiday. Why not make Stonybridge your last resort? <laughs> I remember, yeah, and then we tried going on holiday. Why not be the first person ever to visit Stonybridge? <laughs> anyway, we have some tourists this year. They've just booked for a week. Oh! A week? This is unheard of. Are they aliens or something? Or so, are they staying at the hotel? Given that we don't have one, I somehow doubt it. <laughs> but I have a suggestion. What about offering them some Airbnb? <laughs> What's a Airbnb? Is that some sort of hair transplant? A question for Bobby there, I think. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, come on, man. That brown and white pelt on your noggin's never your own. I come to think of it, it does look remarkably like that wee terrier that used to bark at everyone in the high street. Aye, we haven't seen him for a while. <laughs> or have we, Bobby? <laughs> I resent that implication. How dare you impugn my bond? Can we get back to the Airbnb suggestion? Yes, what is this Airbnb thing? It's where you move out of your house and rent it to strangers so that they can trash the place and then not pay you. <laughs> That's very cynical, Wally. It's a sound business proposition. So how would it work then, Brucey? Very well. <laughs> but first of all, we need planning permission. What are you planning? To get some permission. <laughs> For what? <coughs> to convert this, our village hall, into a dwelling. We'll bung a few bunk beds in here for us and rent out our homes to the tourists for a fortune. Is it like having lodgers? No, you basically rent out everything in your whole house. Even the cutlery drawer? Especially the cutlery drawer. <laughs> but I can't get mines open. It's got my spiralizer jammed in it. <laughs> Oh, that sounds painful, Bobby. <laughs> Surprised you could make it along to the meeting. Oh, I don't think I like the thought of someone rummaging through my drawers. Mm. I'm saying nothing. <laughs> Come on, people, you're being very close-minded. We can make a few bob living here while we rent out our scratchers. All those in favour say aye. You carry. <laughs> is Brexit. <laughs> wait, wait, no, I don't know what is Brexit. First of all, there was a man called Mr Nigel Farage, and he does look like a sock with a mouth. <laughs> or, or, or a ninja turtle. And he does always drink a pint with his coat on. Anyway, he did used to be the boss of the UKIPs. And UKIP does stand for, um, I think, you kick immigrant people. <laughs> anyway, Mr Nigel Farage.
married, he did get on Prime Minister David Sam Cameron's nerves. Because he kept saying, Um, hello, excuse me, you big snowflake. If we get away from all the rest of the world, then there will be no more immigrants coming in here and stealing everything. And that will be very good, because then there will be jobs and food and money and houses and British Bake Off for everyone. Hooray! <laughs> So last year, everyone in the country, including your nan, did go up the polls to vote. And then the next thing you know, your dad says, oh, he's all gone titties up. <laughs> and, and David Sam Cameron stands on his doorstep at number 10 Downey Street, crying, and his big meat face goes all red. <laughs> and, and he says, he says, oh, dear Britain, I love you, but you've got a made a white old mess. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here! <laughs> so then it was a great big muddle. And Mr Jeremy Corden from the Labours, he was meant to show that he was the boss, but he was too busy buying new sailors' hats and shouting like a cross-supply teacher. <laughs> Everyone went off him. Then the scary-head mistress lady, what is called Theresa Maybe, <laughs> and what looks like Mr Burns' sister from The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. She was made the boss of Britain, and it is good she is a feminist lady, but also bad for because she put on some flappy leather trousers what cost £95,000, and she did kick out people from her parliament, including little tiny Michael Gove, what looks like a schoolboy gone wrong. And then she did make Boris Bozza Jozza Johnson very important minister for foreign, even though he's just a shouty pink sausage with a wig on. <laughs> So then it was Brexit Article 50 that was triggered. So now no one will ever be allowed to come in a country what did not be born here. And all the poor refugee children at your school, or what you have seen on the news, will just be put in a box and posted back to where they came from. <laughs> and that is what is Brexit. It is, it's true. <laughs> The average life expectancy for a Scotsman, so we're told, is 77.5 years old. Which sounds like quite a long time, but really it's only... I sleep, spend a third of my life in bed. That's 310 months gone. You got 620 months left. I went to school and college from 4 to 24. From the age of 25, I worked a 40 hour week or more. That's 220 months gone. You got 400 months left. 100 days queuing up for beer, two years in a grumpy mood. 10 years watching TV shows and 46 months swallowing food. 202 months left. 60 hours of hiccups, five months at the multiplex. Eight weeks stuck at traffic lights on the plus side. Two whole years having sex. That's an exaggeration. What? That must be how much sex. 
Okay, not two years, two weeks. Minus two weeks. A day and a half tying up your shoe. Twenty months getting stoned. Seven hundred weeks in the bathroom. Eight long years addicted to your mobile phone. That's minus ten months left. Eh? I'm afraid that you're now dead. Oh well, it's been an interesting life, I suppose. That's another exaggeration. <laughs> Hello, Reverend McMinn here. <laughs> now, it's not often that I would use the word pariah <laughs> in polite conversation. But as I perused my locally sourced bakery and pity forestall in my local Minimart, <laughs> I found myself considering using that very word. For there was such a man licking the double-whipped creme anglais out the back hole of a maraschino cherry and frambrosia cannoli. <laughs> he spun round as quick as his ample girth would allow. And there he was, Kim Jong-un. <laughs> In the flesh, of which there was a plethora. <laughs> Mr Jong-un, I said. You may have executed your uncle, launched an interballistic missile, and had your half-brother assassinated, but you are presently within 25 miles of the home of Susan Boyle. <laughs> so frankly, I would call Canny, my laddie. <laughs> he started to giggle. It was at this point that I noticed that with all Mr. Yong Un's laughing, a large Velcro scar was opening up right the way down his back. My suspicion aroused, on closer inspection, one could clearly see a none too fresh looking pair of beige bobag pants. <laughs> it was at this point that I realised that rather than the pariah of the free world, I had been taken in by a local Torag, some pointless persona non, apparently on his way to a tarts and tyrants fancy dress bash. <laughs> and sadly, once again, the red mist descended. <laughs> and to paraphrase Mr Tom Jones' pop hit, Delilah, I felt the lemon slice in my hand and he laughed no more. <laughs> Good night. Hello. Um, we at Absolutely uh, really care about our listeners. And so we just want to take this opportunity to speak to any of you out there who might be feeling lonely. Uh, it's just a friendly bit of advice which could help you. Have you thought about becoming pals with your iPad? <laughs> the reason I'm suggesting this is because I had a really good chat the other day with Siri. Uh, the... <laughs> built-in intelligent assistant on my iPad. Of course, other devices are available. It started by mistake. I was on the phone to a friend and I must have pressed the home button on my iPad without realising. And then I said to my pal, I said, I know, and ended the phone call. And suddenly, Siri piped up. Knowing is half the battle. <laughs> and I thought, that's interesting. 
And I wasn't that busy at the time. <laughs> so I thought I'd have a chat with him. So I started the conversation again by saying, I know. And, and this is the conversation I had. I know. Knowing is half the battle. What's the other half of the battle? Let me think about that. And what's your favourite battle? I'm happy to go with your opinion on that one. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Bannockburn. I've a big fat bum and bone. <laughs> I don't understand. But I could search the web for it. It's nice to speak to you, Siri. Excellent. I think I'm bored. You're bored? What diameter? <laughs> no, I mean I'm lonely. I'm sorry to hear that. You can always talk to me. Can I call you later? But everyone else calls me Siri. <laughs> I didn't know you did gags. Just doing my job. So, there we have it. A simple cure for loneliness, which offers companionship, a reasonable conversation, and no ties. Just don't tell your partner. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Frank Hovis. My ambition is to live forever. So far, so good. But just in case I don't succeed in my ambition, ladies and gentlemen, I thought I should make a will. And my first thought was, what about my wife? Who should I leave her to? <laughs> no, I'm mucking about, guys. I'm mucking about. I mean, she is my wife, but obviously she doesn't belong to me, as any one of a number of local men will tell you. Now, we've got what, what you call an open relationship, which she takes very seriously. She's open all hours and you get a free glass of wine on entry. <laughs> Actually, again, and gentlemen, it was visiting my old dad in hospital that made me think about making a will. They said he might go, and sure enough, he did. And while I was looking for a nurse to clear up the mess... <laughs> ..he died. <laughs> He was surrounded by his family, otherwise he might have got away, you know. <laughs> and then I suddenly realised, ladies and gentlemen, this wasn't my family. <laughs> and this wasn't my dad either. I, I, got the, I got the wrong bed, ladies and gentlemen, which is understandable because I, I'd had a drink. I'd had, in fact, I'd drunk so much that on the way there I'd been sick over a homeless person. <laughs> the hot meal for him, I suppose. I mean, but... <laughs> Look on the bright side, ladies and gentlemen, eh? Anyway, back at the bedside in the hospital, I quickly withdrew my hand from the old gentleman's plums. <laughs> He'd got a bowl of fruit next to the bed, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and I turned to the family and I said, my thoughts are with you at this difficult time. And they said, actually, we'd rather they weren't, if you don't mind. <laughs> so I left. The family dad, and he was, he was in because he was having terrible... Terrible difficulty getting up the stairs at home. And after some investigation, they found out what the problem was. He gives in a bungalow. <laughs> anyway, he's back home now, but this, this brush, this brush with desk, ladies and gentlemen, did make me think that I should do a will. And I want to leave my legs, my legs, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> to medical science. It'll be my legacy. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs> Thank you.
And now it's time for the final part of Two Line Terry, the story of the remarkable Scottish singer and whistler Terence McCrooner, who had many hits in the 40s and 50s with his short two-line songs. It was now 1955, and Two Line Terry's sixth marriage to the German singer Greta Honk was beginning to show signs of strain. And this was reflected in his number four hit single, High-Waisted Trousers. Sometimes I have problems with my wife I struggle to arouse her But she will capitulate after a date When I wear my high-waisted trousers His wife Greta became more distant after Terry again voiced his sexual frustration in his moving emotional ballad entitled Glands. In summer, when the sun is out, my wife lets me hold hands. But there's still an embargo on her memory glass. Then, all of a sudden, Greta disappeared. And Terry wrote about it in the worldwide hit, Hide and Seek. After his wife disappeared, Two-Line Terry became a recluse and then died. Fortunately, it was nothing serious. <laughs> and Terry tried to make a comeback the following year. It wasn't a great success on account of the fact that he was dead. His obituary in the Dundee Courier summed up his life perfectly. Two-Line Terry, once seen, forgotten. <laughs> to the first ever episode of Callum Gulhuli's YouTube Film Night. <laughs> With me, Callum Gulhuli. Every week, I'm going to be taking a look at the best new YouTube videos. Uh, and this week, I've got a very exciting exclusive interview with one of the best new directors in my street. <laughs> My, my next-door neighbour, Keith. Uh, say hello, Keith. Hello. Keith is the writer, star and director of the hit DIY film How to Clean Rust from Your Golf Club. Which so far has had 21 views. 23, actually. Sorry, 23, actually. Aye. Nineteen of them is me just checking it's working. <laughs> but still, four viewers is not too shabby. No, no. Uh, so, Keith, uh, tell us a little bit about the film. Well, it's just a short film, Callum, about how to clean rust from your golf club. Oh. Brilliant. Uh, is, it, is it, like, based on a true story? Yeah. 
Oh, I suppose it is, yes. It's just basic stuff, really. Oh, well, on one level, that's right. But I was thinking that, you know, the rusty club was a metaphor for your life. And the cleaning of the club was like a cathartic moment leading to your redemption. No. Oh. Okay, aye. Uh, you set the film in your garage, Keith. Why was that? Well, that's where I keep my golf clubs. <laughs> Another thing... Uh, mind, I've got the dentist later. Aye, aye. <laughs> OK, well, let's uh, have a clip. Now, I'm dipping the toothbrush in the vinegar. <laughs> and now... I'm scrubbing the face of the iron with the toothbrush. Like so. Keep scrubbing. Keep scrubbing. Keep scrubbing. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> I won't ruin the ending. <laughs> so, Keith, have you got anything else in the pipeline? Well, I've got a couple of other ideas. One is called How to Hook Up Your iPad to Your TV Screen. Oh, brilliant. Ah, I'll be watching that. No danger. <laughs> Anyway, next week in Callum Gilhooley's YouTube film night, I'll be speaking to that dafty from down the street, Julie Hudson, uh, about her brilliant new short film, How I Fell on My Arse in the Kitchen. <laughs> Good night. Hello, this is Melania. <laughs> Doing my first little podcast from the White House. Thank you. <laughs> To all my fans who like my inauguration outfit, Donald say to me, Melania, cover yourself up, no tit out. <laughs> I say, oh, but darling, you are there. So there, yeah. There, there will be big tit out. <laughs> Just jokes. <laughs> So when we go to White House for the first time, Michelle looked down her nose at me because I give her Tiffany box. <laughs> Everyone wants to know what's inside the box. There's no mystery. Inside the box was just a simple little card and on it I write, help me! <laughs> so. Now I will share some little secret with you about my plan for the redecoration of the White House. I will keep it classy, nothing vulgar. In the garden, we will have all astroturf grass because we can't find any gardeners. <laughs> Where are all the Mexicans when you need them? When I say that, Mexican people take offense, which is why Dolland is going to build a wall. <laughs> In the Oval Office, I just add just a few corners, yeah? Because otherwise, toilet don't fit against the wall. <laughs> and Donald needs toilet because he's always full of crap. <laughs> just jokes, just jokes. So I will have all new beds. When Donald asks how much this costs, I say, don't worry, Donald, darling. Beds are for urine enjoyment. <laughs> Anyway, it doesn't matter too much what it looked like inside. I will be in New York with Baron. <laughs> then Donald can spend quality time with his White House wife, Ivanka. <laughs> I 
hear him call her all the time, Iwanka, Iwanka. <laughs> Maybe I just hear him talking to himself when he looks in the mirror. Iwanka. I don't know. Okay, so join me for next month when we go through diary to see what Donald's got in May. The man's not the prime minister. <laughs> You're so vulgar. Twenty-four hours a day, more news than any other station, more whooshing noises than any other radio station in the world. This is News News News. Good evening, I'm Brian Devlin. So there. <laughs> We've just heard that the royal baby has been born some 15 minutes ago. It's a boy, both mother and baby are well. All, of course, marvellous news because it means we can go into royal birth coverage mode, which we absolutely love doing. So, first off, we're going to play the breaking news jingle. It's breaking! It's breaking! It's breaking news about breaking waters! The national anthem. That's plenty of that. And now we're going to go live to the hospital in central London where David Kinghorn is live at the hospital in central London. I'm here as you say, Brian. I'm Brian as you say, Debbie. I'm standing outside the very hospital where the royal baby was born. The princess and the baby are in this building behind me somewhere. We understand they're in a room. Debbie, I'm going to have to interrupt because you and Douglas are standing outside Buckingham Palace. Correspondent is now standing outside Buckingham Palace. Hello, Brian. Yes, I am very much here. In fact, entirely here outside the palace in my usual spot. The palace is behind me and I'm in front of the palace. Palace behind, me in front. Palace, me, me, palace. Fascinating, you, and I'm joined now in the studio by Martin Brains, our royal names correspondent. So what do you think the new royal baby might be called? Well, there are so many possibilities. Aaron, Adam, Adrian, Aidan, Alexander, Alfred, Andrew. I'm going to have to interrupt you, Martin. We're now joined by Robin Gateside outside the King George V Preparatory School. Robin. Thank you, Brian. I'm out Outside what is widely expected to be the Young Prince's Preparatory School in, oh, just about four years' time from now. Incredible to think. Yes, crowds are already gathering here <laughs> in expectation of the arrival of the Young Prince on his first day, just four years hence. Sorry, uh, Robin, we're now going straight over to Jennifer Davis in Oxford. Brian, I'm standing outside Kibble College, Oxford, where the Young Prince is very much expected to read something fairly simple in not much over 18 years' time. <laughs> Excitement, of course, is mounting. Over to John O'Hearn. Hello, Brian. I'm here at Westminster Abbey. <laughs> where we think the young prince will be married in a little over 27 years' time. <laughs> Debbie, are you there? Yes, Brian, I'm here at the hospital where the young prince's own first child, widely expected to be very small, <laughs> will be born around 29 years from now. And I'm back at the mall where the young prince will take his final journey to be buried in the Abbey. <laughs> Thank you, Ewan. Well, this is all very sad. After such a promising start <laughs> to his life only 17 or so minutes ago, this is news, news, news on the day the young prince was born, lived and sadly died. Good night. The absolutely radio show is written and performed by Pete Brakey, Moana Banks, Muggy Hunter, Gordon Kennedy and John Sparks. The producers were Gordon Kennedy and Gus Beattie, and it is an absolutely gusman production for the BBC.